the Wisconsin Music Podcast. So, Jim, why don't you kind of tell us how you got into music? Well, I don't know, 1990 or 91, somewhere in there, won a songwriting contest. I knew just enough chords to dabble a little bit in my living room and uh, surprisingly won that. And it led to uh, opening act slots for the likes of, I think the first one was this Texan, uh, Jerry Jeff Walker, who is the uh, writer of Mr. Bojangles. And I kind of like that Austin vibe of the 70s and 80s. Open for some of them, and then it led to opening for everybody from Warren Zevon to Marty Stewart to Phil Vassar to Rick Springfield, a country legend named Don Williams, and then smaller at a at a great club in Milwaukee called Shank Hall. The owner there, Peter Jessup, very kind. welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach Fell. Thanks, Dean. Hey, everyone. Zach here from Wisconsin Music Podcast. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I got to spend it with my wife and daughter, my two parents who have been isolated for the last nine months up north. So we got to have a great couple days together up in Sauk County. This week we have Jim Hain. Jim is a songwriter, a sports writer, a teacher at Carroll College. He has a lot of great stories of traveling all over the country playing music and writing for sports teams for his first publications that he works for. We will also hear some of the songs that he has written throughout the podcast. So let's get to it. Here is our interview with Jim Hain. Hey, Jim, welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself? Hello, Wisconsin Music Podcast listeners. My name is Jim Hain. I'm primarily a career journalist, most a lot of it in sports. Spent uh, about a dozen years as a web producer at the Journal Sentinel in Milwaukee. As an offshoot of my writing, at one point I won a songwriting contest and uh, led to some uh, really amazing uh, opportunities to open for some of America's finest songwriters. As an offshoot of that, this semester I'm teaching uh, rock music roots and history at Carroll University in Waukesha. So it's all kind of tied back to my journalism and writing, but I've been a lifelong music fan uh, thanks to an older cousin that was a rock and roll guitar player. So uh, here I am. Excellent. So, Jim, why don't you tell us how you got into music? Sure. Um, my oldest cousin, as I said, was a rock and roll guitar player in the early 60s in a band out of Eau Claire called The Thunderman. And uh, they opened for a lot of national acts. And, uh, you know, when you're growing up and you see a uh, you have an older cousin that has a 62 Corvette convertible with a Fender Strat sticking out of the back, it does make an impression. <laughs> so, you know, listen to that. And then you grow up listening to what basically was the, you know, classic rock, starting with the British invasion. Just always liked music. Uh, wasn't in choir or anything. And then, uh, well, I don't know, 1990 or 91, somewhere in there, won a songwriting contest. I knew just enough chords to dabble a little bit in my living room and uh, surprisingly won that. And it led to uh, opening act slots for the likes of, I think the first one was this Texan, uh, Jerry Jeff Walker, who is the uh, writer of Mr. Bojangles. And I kind of like that Austin vibe of the 70s and 80s. And uh, 
open for some of them. And then it led to opening for everybody from Warren Zevon to Marty Stewart, to Phil Vassar, to Rick Springfield, a country legend named Don Williams. And then smaller at a, at a great club in Milwaukee called Shank Hall. The owner there, Peter Jess, been very kind when it comes to some of these things. So I've opened mm-hmm. for like a slide guitarist named Sonny Landreth of Louisiana and Rodney Crowell and uh, Mac McAnally and uh, Texas band called Reckless Kelly. Just, just dozens of opportunities. Play out a little bit when I can. Probably would rather listen to music than play myself, but I like to write. I'm a horrible musician, but I write enough and I've got a nice little niche. So that keeps me involved. For a couple of years, I did a radio show on Radio Margaritaville called The Three Chord Barbecue, which was Americana music, really. And then that led, you know, it all ended up leading to this class at uh, Carroll University, which is just a blast to teach. So when you were playing, when you're opening up for these bigger names, tell us that experience, what kind of impression it made on you. I think because having been a sports writer and you cover... Brett Favre or Michael Jordan or those kind of players, you realize what your job is. You're not there for autographs. You're there to do your job. So it helped a little bit with the music, not being totally awestruck, but I liked Jerry Jeff Walker. That was probably half of my college record collection. And so when you go in there, you know, it's you're given some instructions, some guidance that uh, 30 minutes means 30 minutes, not 31. Right. That in largely the the audience is not there to see you. They're there to see the headliner. My job is to try and bring people in to see the to, to see the headliner. Um, you know, you don't ask them for autographs. You don't rush up and say, oh, by the way, I've got a CD. Would you like to listen to it? I mean, you just kind of play it by ear. Um, you try and be polite and respectful. But by the same token, these are free PBS specials. These are songwriting seminars from some of the best on the planet. And so it's it's just kind of a privilege to sit backstage. And, and usually you do end up talking with them. The Jerry Jeff Walker thing worked out enough where I ended up in uh, Texas recording a couple albums or a couple of projects with the guts of his band. Why don't you kind of sidestep and kind of give the listeners a little bit of the story behind getting you down to Texas? Okay, well, I I had met Jerry Jeff, opened for him a couple times, met his band, met another guy at a festival down there. And I do play out occasionally. I've been very fortunate to play places like Key West and New Orleans probably once a year. But I stayed in touch with this Texas guy and I had had enough new songs. And so he put it together, a, a Texas songwriter named Larry Joe Taylor, who runs a huge music annual music festival. I ended up playing there a couple times, played a festival hosted by a guy named Gary P. Nunn, had written the theme song, the old theme song for Austin City Limit uh, mm. called the London Homesick Blues, which most people know as I want to go home with the armadillo. <laughs> so I had these Texas contacts and uh, they said, well, why don't you come down here and try it? And I'd, I'd done a local product once. It, would, it was all right. But this Texas thing kind of fell into my lap. And, and uh, you know, looked at the budget and figured I could try it once. And uh, the record was actually pretty good. I was the weak link, but almost everybody else on the record had been on Austin City Limits. So I had uh, Jerry Jeff's long time. They were from the Lost Gonzo Band, is what they were called back in their day. And so I had their guitarist, John Inman, ended up being the producer and fabulous guitar player. The best in Austin, which is saying a lot. Bass player and harmony singer was uh, Bob Livingston. And then... Uh, the, the uh, piano player ended up being Floyd Domino, who was with Asleep at the Wheel and then went to uh, Broadway and then later uh, was Merle Haggard and George Street piano players. So they're pros. They worked hard. They had all the songs charted and I write odd songs, but it worked out. And so I went back uh, a couple years later and did another one. And then the most recent one I did was in uh, Milwaukee with um, a producer, uh, guitar player, a friend of mine named John Seeger, who is from Semi-Twang, goes all the way back okay. to the R&B cadet and then had members of Paul Seabar's band in the studio. 
So nice. again, it's, you're surrounded by just incredible musicians, and they take my uh, songwriting and my songs and uh, hopefully make them listenable. But it, it's it's um, it's worked. It's a nice little niche. I thoroughly enjoy it. Again, it's it's mostly just writing for me. Yeah. Um, I only have my voice to wrap around the lyrics. I've heard uh, nobody famous, but regional bands or other people have done my songs, and it's always nice to hear a different treatment. It, it's evolved into a really, it's more than a hobby, because there were some times where I'd play 70 or 80 dates a year, which was enough for me. Uh, yeah. All over the country, uh, played in the Caribbean, played in Mexico. When my kids were little, we took family trips that revolved, involved uh, involved and revolved around music. We had kind of a working uh, vacation, I guess it's the uh, local musician's version of a busman's holiday. Yeah. But it, it also puts you in, in, it's so good for networking because, you know, you get to play a festival in Key West and you see musicians from all over playing there and you're involved and uh, you get to meet them and uh, hang out a little bit. And you get to see some nice parts of the country. Uh, New Orleans in January done that for, uh, I don't know, the last 18 or 19 years. And But now with COVID, that festival has been put on hiatus and is actually going to be a smaller one in Galveston, Texas. My Key West festival in November was canceled. Almost all the live music gigs have been canceled. I don't really seek any out right now. Yeah. Um, you hope it resumes at some point. I think everybody does. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, you feel for the owners of venues like Shank Hall and even the Paps Theater and places like that that are uh, basically shuttered right now. Right. So, yeah, you just hope it. Uh, you hope that there's enough survivors at the end of all this to uh, return to a viable industry, especially on the local level. Yeah. I think a lot of music organizations are kind of sprouting up now trying to help musicians like Wisconsin Music Venture. They're a great company out of the Southeast Wisconsin area. They have patrons and they hire musicians for the patrons and they put on concerts and other types of events. So I think hopefully this is going to help push the Wisconsin musicians to a more recognizable level with new way of things that are kind of working out with COVID happening right now. Well, and it, you know, you think of the venues, but you also think of events that are not so venue specific. I mean, obviously Summerfest, yep. uh, which was postponed once coming back under a new format. And then that was postponed yep. uh, state fair. But then you've also got the festivals um, like the, I think it was in Oshkosh country USA uh, did not happen. And I believe they're closing for good. Oh, So you've got those major festivals, especially in the Northern part of the state, the country festivals like uh, country jam in Eau Claire and the Hodag festival up in Rhinelander and rock fest in Kadat, which I, you know, they have a country component as well. Most of those, uh, I believe all of them were postponed. So you just don't know what that year layoff is going to mean to the festival organizers. Yeah. I I would hope, Another, hopefully another stimulus package maybe be able to be passed to help businesses and, you know, even musicians, hopefully we can, and venues, hopefully we can get them to at least skate until things start opening up again. And then people are going to want to go out and see and hear music, live music again. So that hopefully is going to be enough to help revive what's being laid dormant right now. Hopefully that's the worst it's going to be is dormant. Right. And you've got, you've got the venues, you've also got the working musicians. Mm Mm-hmm especially those who this is what they do full time. And I'm not in the circle right now, but I do have friends that either run or work at studios and it's pretty lean. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those, the musicians that do it full time or almost full time don't have another gig to fall back on. It's not like you can just say, Oh, I'm going to become an engineer tomorrow. 
Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm very fortunate that I have a full-time gig. I've got some great part-time teaching gigs. What had been my backup, I still write, but I only covered five Brewer games this season for AP. And, and uh, four, of the, four of those were two double-headers. Oh, okay. So, you know, I and my entire, what had been a full schedule of college and professional football almost every weekend of the fall, I have none. Right. So I've gone back to, and I always did it. I, I like it. Don't have to, but I've been covering high school football on Friday nights. In fact, last Friday, it was 26 degrees. You couldn't sit in the press box. Uh, you were just out in the bleachers, uh, bundled up as best you could. Then I doubled up and went back and did a Saturday afternoon game. It had warmed up to 41, but the wind was 15 miles an hour. And then it started to rain. So you had to switch from... Uh, Pen to pencil because the ink was smearing. I mean, that's old ah. school. That's old school coverage. But you know, so I've got a few of those kind of things that that for me, I've I've always kept those options open. Uh, and again, it all boils down to writing, which mm-hmm. which is what my music revolved around. As someone who participates, but I listen to to new music all the time. I mean, I think social media's algorithms have finally figured out that I I don't want to buy an Audi. So, you know, I click on enough music stuff, about 90% of what I get is, I think, either uh, new music or coffee roasters. So I like the music. I click on a lot of that, even the local sponsored ads on Facebook, just to hear it. And there's some really good stuff yeah. that is not on mainstream radio. So you kind of hunt it out. And uh, and then I tend to share that and certainly order a lot of music that, that, I li- that just gets sent my way. Excellent. And I think I'm going to come back to that towards the end is asking you what's on your playlist. But um, I would like to go back to before COVID and you were out doing gigs. Can you kind of compare what you thought other locations outside Wisconsin were doing better than what the local scene in Wisconsin was doing? Well, you know, there there's vibrant music scenes all over. And ironically, before I, I, I came back to Wisconsin, I had taken a buyout from the newspaper industry and gone back to school and gotten a master's degree and ended up working at a college near Seattle. Uh, My family stayed here because we had kids in school. And so I was kind of bouncing back and forth. I could work from Wisconsin at least one week out of the month. And what you bump into, though, is Seattle has a very vibrant music scene, art scene overall. I mean, author events and... uh, and they all kind of intertwine, but so I'd play a little bit there, but I also got involved with, uh, you know, you go to see people and you'd network and meet the local songwriting groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Seattle is is booming. Uh, the economy with Microsoft and Amazon and tech-driven businesses, you know, and I, and I think their housing market, the cost of living out there bears out the fact that they had a very vibrant economy prior to COVID. So that lends itself to a very vibrant music scene. You had a Mm -hmm. lot of venues of all different genres, jazz clubs, and a lot of independent, a lot of, a lot of venues that would support indie music. You had a vibrant R&B and soul scene. I tend to listen to a lot of Americana music, uh, singer songwriters, and you, you could see national touring artists every week, every, you know, small venues. It was really, really nice. I think Milwaukee does a good job of offering some variety. Um, they're not as big a metro area, but you get um, people, national artists who are touring between Minneapolis and Milwaukee or Minneapolis and Chicago. So you can fill an off night, but also tend to lump in, um, you know, great little venues like Cafe Carp out in Fort Atkinson. Certainly Madison, it's, it's to me, our drive is nothing to see a good band. So I kind of lump the that corner of wisconsin all into one over the summer my wife and i went up to uh sheboygan just because they had a free midweek music series in a park you know and what's sheboygan mm-hmm. it's an hour 
Right. Um, so, I mean, there's plenty of options. What, what, what you bump into with COVID though, is the uh, festival circuit in, in uh, Milwaukee really took a beating and not just the church festivals, but the music in the park series or all those concert on the square type things that just kind of went away. And I don't know who funds those, but um, in addition to the club venues, you hope that some of those public venues or public events come back as well. But Milwaukee has a great, you know, you really, when people say there's no live music, they're not looking. I mean, there's live music at, at, uh, you know, the, the Pier Wisconsin folks sponsor uh, events. I mean, you can go to a yacht club and go to a sailboat race. There's probably somebody playing music. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly all the Harley events have some sort of music associated with it. Normally the dealers and it's all kind of just in suspended animation right now. But uh, Milwaukee has a, and, and, you know, and again, the radio, you got a lot of classic rock, but you also have Radio Milwaukee of WMSE. You have some great community stations that broaden your listening if you're willing to uh, go down the dial a bit. Yeah, I think over the last 20 years, I think more live music, better opportunities for live musicians to perform have started to come back. Yeah, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, uh, there were just things that you took for granted. Uh, if you went to a bowling alley, invariably there was a, a bar and often had a lounge band in it. Right. You know, a lot of hotels kind that had a bar attached to it instead of just a motel. Mm -hmm. Most of those bars had a stage. Yep. So there are still some of those around and you might have to look a little farther. But if you truly like music, you can find it. Uh, yeah, you can on, a, on any given night in Milwaukee, you can probably find the genre of music that you're looking for. You just got to look. Right. Exactly. What do you think would be the best way for musicians today to promote themselves, to let people know that they're out playing? Social media is the top of the list, but what other things do you think they could do to help get themselves more recognized and have more people come and see them play once, obviously, COVID is gone? Well, it's funny you say that because I, because of my media background. I got a tremendous amount of publicity compared to a lot of local musicians because I knew what worked. And I actually had a plan that, you know, three weeks before a gig, I would find out who was the entertainment reporter or feature writer at a local paper. Did they have a college paper? Did they have an entertainment paper like the Shepherd Express or the Isthmus or somebody? And so I would have a plan. I'd have a, uh, you know, a generic kind of cover letter. I would have a one page bio. I would reach out to them and, and say, you know, if newspaper space is valuable real estate. Right. But if you're going to give away 12 inches, why don't you give it to me? Of course, I could play that underpaid uh, journalism sympathy angle pretty well. But I would also look if I, for example, if I was coming to Milwaukee, I would look and see, is there a station that plays something similar to what I do? Then I would look at, oh, that might be WMSE. And I would look at their programs. Is there a program, you know, I'm not going to be on WMSE's hip hop show, probably won't be on Paul Seabar's show, but there might be somebody that plays Americana music. And then I would touch base with them. Would you play my stuff? Here it is, uh, which led to several in-studio appearances, which is a great way to promote a show. Right. Uh, I'm in town. I'll be there tomorrow night. And then, of course, you do use social media, but you, I think what a lot of musicians don't realize is that it's fun to play, but you kind of owe it to the venue to bring people. It's not the venue's job to bring people to see me. It's my job to bring people to the venue. But the non-stage part of it is work. 
Yep. And and I never minded stuffing envelopes. I mean, I know what my limitations were, but the, the record I did with John Seeger, which was called Silhouette of a Fool, it wasn't there long and it wasn't high. But uh, you open up one week and there it is, number 22 on the Freeform Americana charts, and you're you're wedged in with Neil Young and Steve Earle and Todd Snyder. That's a pretty good thing. Yeah. Yeah, but that's only because I stuffed the envelopes and I wrote a good letter. And so I would pull aside X amount of CDs and say, these are the radio stations that might play my songs. And then once it's played, you know, you can track that stuff and then you grab that. Oh, by the way, you know, my Facebook page says, oh, by the way, this song was played on, you know, thanks to WHR, whatever in uh, Rhode Island, grab their logo. And I had a a system down where I could um, kind of put together a little, I'd grab their playlist. I'd highlight my name. I grab the station logo, show this thing. And when you have a new record, that's pretty easy to do. And pretty soon people are saying, well, this guy's getting a lot of airplay. Well, I'm not bumping anybody off off the airwaves, but it's nice to get occasional airplay. Yeah. And it, it's, it, it lends to that perception thing that you have an audience. But also, I think people realize you're willing to work hard to promote their station, to promote. It's a way to say thank you. I mean, you know, you can't take that for granted. You're not entitled to anything. Nobody owes you anything. So if you if you don't mind working, sometimes you simply outwork other people. Yeah. You know, I've had that ask, how come you got the publicity? Because I called the newspaper and asked, who should I send my stuff to, you know? I am a writer. You know, most of my songs have a grain of truth in it. And then sometimes you embellish it. There was one I got out of, literally, it came out of the Madison, Wisconsin police reports about a street singer that he didn't like being heckled. And he had a great street singer name, Bongo Jesus. And so I wrote the song and that was one I did with uh, John Seeger. And then, you know, you got to add a little Hammond B3 and... Uh, you know, you've got Reggie Bordeaux on drums from Paul Sievers band and Mike Fredrickson on bass and John playing guitar. They did the the background vocals. So it was, it was, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a nice treatment of a song that I still play um, with just an acoustic guitar, but it's way different. Yeah. Where did, where did you record it? Uh, John Seeger has a small studio. Okay. And that was the first one I'd done since really coming back to Milwaukee. Him. He was happy. I highly recommended a roadside attraction, a street corner singer with a style that the critics banned. Not really folk, not really blues, more like a poet that had blown a fuse, or maybe just a weirdo that they kicked on out of the band. Well, State meets Johnson. Madison, Wisconsin He'd set up shop every morning About a half past ten He wouldn't tune up And he wouldn't turn down Irritating everyone for blocks around Play the three songs that he'd know And start over again They called it Bongo Revving it up to rarefied form Blaming the music business for 
hottest Nashville dude Why is he the one who always gets screwed When a voice from the crowd said Cause you pretty much suck Didn't like what was said Bounced his guitar off the guy's head And rang like an open E chord on the back his guitar, laying in pieces, did the Birkenstock boogie on up the street. They call it Bongo G, but I don't know how come. They call it Bongo G, but he didn't have a drum. He'd be banging out tunes on an old guitar, swearing at pedestrians, yelling at He was gassed, so he turned around and yelled, take your best shot. So a Madison cop with a handheld taser sent 80,000 volts through the so-called savior and brought the show to a halt right there on the spot. Well, those Madison folks, they don't like violence It's a welcome trade for the mornings of silence Cause the voice from the crowd was right He pretty much sucked They call him Bongo That's always the approach I've had. And, and I actually, uh, there used to be a classic, Carol, I taught it about five years ago called Introduction to the Music Business. And I had done some very successful compilation CD projects of tropical music called Thongs in the Key of Life. You know, you're talking local local level, right? I mean, yeah. not Warner Brothers. So I'm sitting in Brookfield, and I remember how excited I was when Amazon said, well, we'll take one. And the next day they wanted two, and then all of a sudden they wanted 40 and then 200. And so it was a project that was like an old uh, KTEL record or something, you know? All, the, all local or regional artists back then, nobody was like 1999. Nobody really had a web presence. Uh, they were just starting. There was very little social media but the first volume of that sold 11,000 copies um, wow. MTV picked up a song off it uh, which was great for the writer Disney called and got 24 copies um, that led eventually to four volumes of that and they were all just to expose these writers to different people so I had some background in that and I, I had gotten the licensing agreements and understood that so I did this uh, classic carol called introduction to the music business I don't think they offered any more but my in-depth knowledge was limited but what I got was six fabulous guest speakers. John Seeger spoke about songwriting and royalties. Uh, the licensing director from Hal Leonard spoke. Um, Peter Jess from Shank Hall spoke. And my class was mesmerized by him because he they could relate to him. Yeah. A lawyer from Chicago, an entertainment lawyer from Chicago who's 
family lived in the area, happened to be up visiting. He spoke to my class. The person who did a lot of the booking for Summerfest spoke. So these students were getting literally the voices of experience, all of which told disaster stories and horror stories and how things had gone wrong at some event, but they were still in it. So I learned, as well as the students, I learned from each of these people as well. And so you pick up, if you keep your eyes open and your ears open, you learn a lot from people who have years and years of experience doing this stuff, whether it be uh, booking people or songwriters or, or PR people or whatever. Oh, and, and the other person who spoke to that music class, when I say PR people, he was uh, uh, Piet Levy, the, the music writer for the Journal Sentinel. Oh, okay. And he came in and told my class, this is what I look for in a press kit. If you want my attention when it crosses my desk, this is how you do it. And, you know, he talked about covering concerts and stuff and the approach to that. But his, they had several uh, students in my class at that time were in bands or local songwriters. And what he had to offer them was you couldn't buy that kind of advice. So it worked out really well. Um, one of the students who brought her resume as a freshman, the lawyer uh, that spoke, the attorney that spoke, he said, did anybody bring a resume? She did. She didn't end up working for him, but uh, she ended up interning at Summerfest, then later became a stage manager, and she just graduated in uh, entertainment law from Belmont in Nashville. So she she understood the, the benefits of networking very yeah. well at a young age. Good. That's good. I think musicians, I don't know if it's a lot, but I think there's enough of them out there that think all I have to do is practice and play on stage and don't really have to do much of anything else. But you have to network. You have to get people to know who you are besides just being up on a stage. Well, yeah. I mean, I know three chords and can't sing a lick and write weird songs. And, you know, I'm getting on a plane to Key West or playing in the Caribbean on a 10-day cruise and... If I went to an open mic, I'm probably the worst musician there. But what I do works for me. And again, sometimes you just roll up your sleeves and do I really want to stay up at 11 o'clock at night and send uh, fill out 10 envelopes and send CDs out? Sometimes no. But if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it for me. And right. two, two, there's some other songwriter who is going to stay up to 11 o'clock and mail that stuff out. And then you lose out to them. So mm -hmm. you get out of it what you put into it. And, you know, people have different aspirations at different levels. And some people are very, very driven to make it on the national level. More power to them. If they've got the... Uh, the ability and the work ethic, good for them. You know, it's always kind of nice to look in and say, hey, this guy, you know, this guy's from uh, Kenosha as opposed to somebody from L.A. You know, you kind of, you have that kind of, uh, you root for those kind of people, people that might be from your, your area, your hometown, or, you know, that kind of underdog thing where mm -hmm. some local teacher wins a songwriting contest and the next thing you know, they're on some TV show. It's like, good for them. Right, Great. exactly. Obviously, you've had a lot of experience in entertainment. What would be like some red flags you'd like to pass on to people listening? Well, I I think, you know, there is nothing wrong with a really good cover band. And you can you can enjoy it. You can make money. I don't have that skill set. So I wrote. If I had to tell somebody that even was, was thinking, you know, don't ever apologize for trying to write a song. Because there are options and opportunities for original music and people who produce original music. That said, if you want to play, you know, you want to be in a Van Morrison cover band, by all means, do that. But I think some of the, the things you bump into are, even on the local level, you know, it's it's no secret if you, you know, are you playing in a bar from 
from 10 to 2. That's a grind. Do you want to drink when you play? Do you want to have fun or do you are you serious about it? Again, you know, those are all individual choices as to what people want out of that. But in teaching this class that I've taught, you know, you look at some of those, you go all the way back to Bobby Fuller from I Fought the Law, who was found dead in a car and he was 23 or 24, all right, when he was becoming a big star. And that's, that's never been solved. You look at... You know, Marvin Gaye was shot by his father. Of course, you've got the Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Graham Parsons. That road is littered with a lot of bodies. By the same token, you've got people like Paul Simon, who are probably 79 years old, or Ringo Starr, 79, maybe just turned 80. So you've got people that have survived their own lifestyles, and not necessarily their lifestyles, but the lifestyle of rock and roll. You know, and you listen to some of those voices, Don Henley talk about it in the Eagles documentary, or Joan Jett, just unique perspectives. So there are some pitfalls out there. There's also, if you if you are serious about it like anything else, you know, you better, if you don't, if you don't know what contract or, or what agreement you're signing, have somebody look at it for you. Don't just jump at the first opportunity and say, I'll sign this because I want to play in your bar. You don't know what you're getting into. And that's hard to do because I don't know how many young people really worry about that. And that goes all the way back to those great musicians in the late 50s, early 60s, signing away their life or signing away their songs just for the opportunity to play. Next thing you know, they, they have no money, no health insurance, no retirement, and uh, their songs are played all over the place. Yes, they are. They have businessmen taking them for a ride and they didn't know what they were doing. Their head was spinning so fast. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's again, you're, you know, you're young and you like playing music. You don't know what that, all that other stuff uh, involves. I mean, you know, if, if people do right, I think one of the first things they should do is make sure their songs are protected, you know, get your stuff to BMI or ASCAP or somebody. So there is a paper trail of what you've been doing. And even now you hear horror, horror stories of songs being stolen or, you know, somebody hears you play in a bar. And the next thing you know, you hear a, a very similar song on the radio. It never happened to me because I don't think my songs are good enough but you still hear people talk about that yeah but then again i mean i'm not an accountant i'm not a real estate agent so i don't know the pitfalls there might be parallel things that go horribly wrong in all those other industries you know yeah some being being undersold by the other insurance agency i don't know that stuff all you know is the uh what you hear in the limited area of music i've i've been in but you know the, the other thing is i think you encourage everybody to participate don't be afraid. If you, if you want to play music, go play it. Yeah. The, the worst thing that can happen is somebody says no, or we don't like your stuff. You'll get to that level of contentment where it intersects with ability and response. Yeah. You know, some people are just so driven and motivated and they won't take no for an answer. They may not be the best at what they do. They may not be the best singer. They may not be the best songwriter, but that, that drive and uh, desire goes a long way. And again, more power to them if they want to take advantage of an opportunity. And, you know, and it, and it happens at different times in life. If you're somewhat younger, you do not have family obligations. It's a little bit easier to roll the dice. You know, a person with four or five kids who comes home and says, oh, by the way, I quit my job because I'm going to play music. That's different. I mean, that's a really yeah. tough road. That's a tough decision to make. Some people do. I don't think I would ever have the guts to do that. I know I didn't. But there are others. And again, you you know, who's to, who's who am I to criticize somebody for their choice? But what you tell people is if you want to succeed, you got to work hard. And it may not just be practice. It may be learning how to write a cover letter. Uh, it may yeah. be knowing how... If knowing how to make a cold call to a venue saying, oh, by the way, you guys have never had music, but I'm trying to pitch this to you. And I, I always had success with that. It worked for me. I have no idea how other people get their 
bookings. I've used booking agents and I found out that nobody booked me as well as I did. I knew what I could do. I knew what I had to say, what we had to offer and had enough yeses to offset the no's. If I probably didn't play out for the next year, for the next five years, my life is not going to collapse. Yeah. I'll still write a little bit, but um, by the same token, kind of bummed when the Key West thing fell apart or the New Orleans thing was canceled. Yeah. I had another uh, another gig in January in Michigan, and that's already been canceled. You know, those nice little three-day, four-day weekend yeah. festivals somewhere? Mm-hmm. You get your slot, you hang out with people. You know, you play that noon slot in Key West, and then you got to kill eight hours sitting on the beach. Those things are still out there, and, and if I'm fortunate enough to get the opportunities, I'll, I'll take advantage of them, certainly. I wrote a bizarre one uh, called Dark Side of the Island, uh, which is full of American history references. But I wrote it in my head as a surf guitar song. And when I recorded that in Texas, just told John uh, Inman, the guitar player, I said, just just channel your inner Shantae. And uh, so you got kind of that Pulp Fiction vibe. Charter jet line. Everybody says we'll have one hell of a time. Tropical getaway, safe and clean. All the comforts of a home, a vacation or strain. If you'd like a little bit more, urges that you'd like to explore, then you come with me. Come with me, come with me to the dark side of the island Where Houdini's at the bar doing slide of hand tricks For the charter boat captain from the river sticks Overweight, overdose, bleach blonde hair Cemetery perfume hanging in the air Hitler watercolors hanging on the wall Janice Joplin sings Last Call Hall Last Call on the dark side of the island it's the last call I'm on the dark side of the island Color brochure begs a can't miss trip Happy hour sail on the hotel ship Cheap Mexican beer in the afternoon Got a karaoke guy doing buffet tunes Stars on the water Like a little bit more Balls to the wall Flat of full board and Then you come with me Come with me Come with me To the dark side of the island Where Kurt Cobain and Ernest Hemingway Drink a shotgun toast to the NRA Held your shelter with your fun, fun friends Smile Ted Bundy's got a telephoto lens Norman Bates wearing Mama's shawl John Belushi sings Last Call Last Call on the dark side of the island You'll get speedballs on the dark side of the island How life sucks when you play it safe Bored with death is written on your brain all done homogenized sanitized theme park fun 
say goodbye with a superficial kiss Can't help thinking that there's something you missed If you'd like a little bit more Deep down dark where the demons roar Then you come with me Come with me Come with me to the dark side of the island Well, you're back to the door holding aces and eights Amelia's flight's just a little bit late Meet the shadowy figure from the grassy knoll Dance with the devil playing rock and roll Hunter Thompson guns and alcohol Warren Zevon's writing down it all Last call on the dark side of the island You'll hear werewolves on the dark side of the island Won't you come with me? Come with me Come with me to the dark side of the island Let's talk about the positives. What have you seen that has stuck out to you that is some really good positives about the local music scene? I think the venues, the opportunities are there. I mean, if you want to play music, there's a lot of places to play. Now, if you want to play, you know, and have that in your head that you're going to make $5,000 a night, well, good luck with that. Yeah. So, you know, what are you willing to work for? But that's the same as any Basically, musicians are freelancers, and that's no different to me than somebody says, you know, do you want to cover the Packers on Sunday? Well, absolutely. And there are people who think you're going to make thousands of dollars. Well, first off, journalism, not a, not really a high-paying career field. But if somebody says, would you rather make, you know, a couple hundred dollars to go cover a football game as opposed to watching it for free from home? You know, I like being in the press box. I yeah. will go. I will drive. Last summer, um, my dad was still alive, um, was up on the western side of the state. And I would get up to see him when I could. But I was able to wangle a couple of weekends of covering the twins for AP up there, which, you know, go see my dad in Eau Claire, uh, go up and cover a couple of twins games, come back through Eau Claire. And I like that. One year I played music in New Orleans. I did a magazine story on the, the World War II Museum. But also there was a kid from Wisconsin, a young man from Wisconsin, who played. he was a Wisconsin high school player of the year in basketball, played for the Badgers, wasn't a college star, ended up signing his first full uh, NBA contract with the Pelicans. So I was in New Orleans. I played my gig, played my first gig. Next morning, got up, went to the Pelicans practice facility and interviewed people. Then I came back and played my second gig, which at that time was the old Margaritaville down on Decatur right on the edge of the French Quarter, hustled over to cover the NBA game, which was the Pelicans and Golden State, you know, took advantage of that NBA pregame meal, hung out, did my story, walked back across the French Quarter. You know, for me, that was like the perfect self-employment weekend. Yeah. I got I got to cover basketball. I got to do a magazine story on the World War II Museum. I got to play a couple of music gigs in the French Quarter. You know, that's, for some people, that might not be considered a great weekend. For me, it was pretty high on the list. I'm thinking, this is wonderful. Maybe it's just licensed immaturity but it was it was you know i thought it was a good weekend on top of that i had uh gotten a deal and i've done this a couple times i'd taken the train down i had a sleeper compartment on the city of new orleans instead of flying oh okay so you, so you add in all those other things you know cover some basketball write a magazine story play a couple gigs you know sleeper car on the train that's not a bad weekend i don't think that sounds complete happiness and 
that's success. If you're happy, that's successful. Yeah, yeah. You know, and everything that goes with it. Some New Orleans food, listening to other musicians, talking to the guy from the, you know, who grew up in Randolph, Wisconsin, and then played for the Badgers. You know, and then you kind of, at least for me, I retain a lot of those networking opportunities. I might not know where I parked my car, but I do know I saw you play at Tipitina's in New Orleans three years ago. And for whatever reason, that works. Um, Plus, I like it. I mean, those are the things I like. You know, when I'm fortunate to play music, I often look for freelance stories that go in conjunction with the trip or vice versa. If I have a writing assignment or a job somewhere, in fact, I was my current gig. Um, I work for the Veterans Affairs now as a webmaster and I'd worked in Milwaukee as a writer for the VA, public affairs person. And they had a, a, a meeting down in Chicago. And so it was a two day event. I, I just can't sit in the motel and watch TV. So I you know, looked up on, looked online, found the, what I thought was the best open mic, went down there, played a couple songs, met some people, hung out in a great bar full of Christmas lights, and then went back and got up the next morning and went to my seminars. So everybody has their choices, you know, but I still stay in touch with the people I met at the open mic. And there were some really good songwriters. There were some great cover guys. Yeah. There were some that weren't so good, but who cares? I mean, but that's what I do. And, and I've always, that's always worked for me. You know, you couple that with being out and about and you're, you're the guy that'll stop it. Oh, look here. Here's the world's largest ball of twine. I always pull over. I always look <laughs> for those weird things because you just never know. So yeah, it all kind of, for me, it all kind of intersects. And I think that kind of like, um, everybody has that as you get older, those things, you, you kind of reach that comfort zone. And this is kind of what my comfort zone is. It's music, sports, writing. I don't really watch much sports on TV. Uh, I'd rather listen on the radio so I can do other stuff. Yeah. Read the papers incessantly, go to the library all the time. And, you know, I use my library card a lot. So you got this kind of nerdy existence where it's kind of like a little bit of music, a little bit of PBS, a little bit of sports, you know, a little bit of outdoors, some history, you know, national parks, all that stuff. And it just kind of filters down into your comfort zone. And that happens to be mine. Sounds perfect. A lot of people would love to have an experience close to what you're doing right now. Well, it's nice. And then if you got a second job, there are some people who love to work at Home Depot because they are working at a store like that because you get an employee discount or something or, you know, it's their area of interest. Yeah. My second gig ends up teaching this music class at Carroll University. I'm probably enjoying it more than the students. With COVID, we can't have people come in, but we've had, you know, it's built around documentaries. I don't think you'd learn music from a textbook. So each week is a documentary. I've had great virtual guest speakers chime in. We watched a documentary on the Wrecking Crew, which was about the famous LA Session guys. Mm-hmm. Well, the guest speaker was Denny Tedesco, who's the producer of the film and the son of the late guitarist Tommy Tedesco. Oh, wow. He was fabulous, just very engaging, answered every question. He actually sent my students some swag to give away. And then for, you know, Woodstock, it's kind of hard to find somebody. But we were very fortunate that, you know, in the aberration of how they got there. Uh, but it was actually a fascinating story because the guys from Shanana were Columbia University students. Oh. They were the acapella group. They went from no gigs to Woodstock in 50 days. Jimi Hendrix saw him at a club. Well, the guy that spoke to my class after we watched the Woodstock, the PBS documentary, was Sean Anah's original guitarist who played at Woodstock. He then became a music attorney and was Green Day's manager. 
Oh, okay. So for him to chime in, you know, they're like, what, what was Grace Slick like? Well, she wasn't there, but we took her motel room because they couldn't get to the thing. You know, so, I mean, these kind of anecdotes, but he was, he, again, he gave, you know, very kind to give an hour of his time to some students in Wisconsin. Yeah. It was wonderful. Thoroughly enjoyable. And they're so good. And they're obviously, they have a wealth of knowledge. So the students benefit from that. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and uh, you know, we've watched the documentary on Muscle Shoals, uh, Stacks Records story. Uh, this week is, uh, you know, Standing in the Shadows of Motown about the Funk Brothers. I love that one. Yeah, it's great. And then next week is 20 Feet from Stardom. So you have all these different genres. Like Stax Records is really, you know, is it a rock and roll label? No, it was it was soul and R&B, really. You know, their house band was Booker T and the MGs. And then you tell your students, hey, you know, in 2007 at the Waukesha Blues Festival, Booker T and the MGs played there, along with Mavis Staples. So you you tie all this together. A really uh, bizarre, there's a, there's a Texas writer named Ray Wiley Hubbard. And back in the 70s, he was almost uh, ruined his career by writing this song that Jerry Jeff did called Up Against the Wall, Redneck Mother. And it was kind of that country sing-along staple. Well, Ray Wiley Hubbard is, is a genius writer, I think. He's almost like a mystic poet. So we had seen the Beatles documentary eight days a week and uh, Bob Dylan and you know some of the documentaries Tom Petty was talking so that kind of led back into a segment on the traveling Wilburys well Ray Hubbard's new video was called Bad Trick and we played that in the class because it's Ray Hubbard who a lot none of my students had ever heard of him but in that video on drums is Ringo Starr playing slide is Joe Walsh playing upright bass is Don Was Chris and Chris Robinson is singing harmony vocals oh no Nice. Here these guys are, you know, 40 years after the Beatles touring years, here's Ringo playing drums on this Texans new record. And so that was to point out to the students that there's a lot of mutual respect among these kind of writers. Mm-hmm. that, you know, they think of the Rolling Stones as these old guys. I showed them the Tammy show when the Stones were 21 and said the biggest regret was trying to follow James Brown. Yeah. So you tie all this together and it's like, oh, there's Ringo Starr and oh, that guy's in the Traveling Wilburys. And, and you know, it gives them a perspective that they might not get from certainly from a textbook. No. And not from listening to Spotify or or a self-chosen channel. So basically, we hope that the class has broadened some horizons. Um, It's kind of fun to teach. It really is. Their only big assignment was read a book and write a book report. Well, so I get a list of about 20 autobiographies and and books on rock music. Well, then I put it out on Facebook and kind of crowdsourced it. And I had, you know, music critics, writers, musicians themselves saying, well, what about this book? So the list grew to about 70 choices. And all they had to do was read it. That was their only big assignment. Read a book on whoever you want off this list. Or if it's not on the list, let me know and we'll approve it. Right. So you had everything from Tom Petty to Dylan to the Eagles to Peter Roller's book uh, on Milwaukee Garage Bands. One of the students read that as his choice for the semester. I'm like, good, fabulous. And so the surprising thing was, it's not on my radar at all, but I get to teach that class again next semester. Oh, cool. So we got some different books, uh, students feedback on the documentaries, got some different guest speakers in the pipeline. And listen, I, I like, I probably get more enjoyment out of it than the students. I like the documentaries. I like them all. I like the guest speakers. I like researching it. I like putting together the listening quizzes, you know, name that song and name that artist, you know, and some of the answers are pretty funny. 
Um, some of them, they didn't pay attention in class, Yeah. but it's supposed to be a fun class. It's not calculus. It's not physics. You know, it's not a language. It's, you know, you, they can beat themselves up over those other things in their majors. And they, you yeah. know, they got physical therapy majors, got nursing students. It's, it's general education. It's not music majors, which is really nice. They're very engaged. And of course, they like the fact that they're listening to music as opposed to reading about it. Uh, ask them, you know, for some feedback. Do they like the guest speakers? And it's it's overwhelmingly positive that when you get to hear Denny Tedesco talk about the Wrecking Crew, it's way better than having me talk about it. Yeah. You know, the guitarist from Sha Na Na, they had no idea even who Sha Na Na was. But by the time they were done, they knew and they knew Woodstock. And, you know, it just lends so much depth to those kind of presentations. And, and right now, I think, unfortunately... Uh, from from a business standpoint, some of the people that have indicated an interest for next semester are available because they're not playing or they're not in the studio or they're not doing what it is they do. Right. So I think they've got time on their hands and, and they really, they like sharing their knowledge with younger people, which is great. I mean, more power to them too. Mm-hmm. Fabulous that they're willing to do that. Kind of going back to a couple sentences back that you said, it's not music majors taking the course. Well, it, it benefits you in the fact that if if you just like music, here's a wealth of information that you didn't know before. And actually, you know, each of those documentaries is so good. And so you kind of pick the cream of the crop. And there's others, you know, but I tried to get into more of the the foundation. The first first two weeks were the time life. Uh, history of rock and roll the first four episodes so you're 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 looking at chuck berry little richard fats domino elvis uh bill haley and a lot of my students were astonished because the one thing we did then after that was we showed them uh i think a song by chuck berry little richard and fats domino and then made them watch the pat boone version of the same song they didn't know you had the two distinct audiences. They'd never heard the term race music. Gladys Knight talked about being taken off a bus by armed guys in the South. Mm-hmm. You know, that was all new to them. And then, of course, they they wrote about how these songs were being stolen. And I, we went back and read between the lines where Little Richard said, Pat Boone want to record my song? Great. And I explained about songwriting royalties and who got money from what. You know, there's... There's, uh, you know, when the when the Beatles were doing uh, Roll Over Beethoven, that didn't hurt Chuck Berry's bank account. No. Those songs, you know, and, and when they say they were stolen, only in the fact that if you had an unscrupulous record company that didn't pay its royalties. But if everything was above board, having the Rolling Stones do something by, you know, a Stax record artist, I think Arthur Anderson, that's pretty decent. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Stax record star was... Otis Redding. So what we have is supplemental readings. And so we here's here's the, the news clippings on when Otis Redding's plane went down in the lake in Madison. Here is the, the monument to that. And, you know, they didn't realize that really sitting on the dock of the bay came out after he had been killed in a Wisconsin plane crash. All of that was new to them. But fortunately, with the Internet, you are able to get the original news clippings, you are able to get great interviews. Um, you know, nobody cares what I think about the traveling Wilburys. When you can watch an eight minute video of George Harrison talking about how they founded it, basically he was going to dinner. Yeah. And he said, you know, oh, I called Bob Dylan, who had a studio in his garage. The next thing you know, well, Roy Orbison's hanging around and Jeff Lynn is here. Well, let's do this. Those to me are much more valuable than anything I can say. I just kind of sit back and, uh, you know, you're kind of like a traffic cop. Here's all this information right. funneling it through. But, you know, if, if you you as a music person and a music educator, what you find out is 
is you get students who may not want to be a, a musician or a music major, but yet they have kind of an interest. And this class is, is really perfect for them because it pulls them into the music scene a little bit. And if nothing else, I told them, you can go, now they can go home on Thanksgiving and, and talk to their parents or their grandparents about all that music they had to listen to when they were kids. <laughs> now they understand it. Uh, I wrote a ballad about an older woman in Wisconsin who had dementia, but she used to be a country uh, Western singer. And it all stemmed because my sister was going to rent costumes for a uh, one of those murder mystery dinner theater things where the audience is part of the play. And this older lady rented costumes, which turned out to be like her Dale Evans outfit. Oh, okay. So I wrote this. It was going to be a magazine story, and the woman passed away before I could do an interview, and I turned it into a song. I left the poem stuck in the door handle. And about three weeks later, I get this package from Chippewa Falls. Uh, it turned out to be from her older brother. It was filled with glossies from the band and, uh, I mean, just great stuff. So I wrote this song, went back up to Eau Claire, did a theater show with uh, a country guy who was, I, I thought was a legend. He's since passed away, but um, with Don William. And I played this song. A woman in the audience was crying, said, you know who that's about? It turned out to be about her great aunt. So I sent the pictures back to her. And then I got an email from a guy saying, you know, are you the guy that sang this song in Eau Claire? I said, yes. He said, well, do you have pictures? I said, well, I scanned them in, talked, you know. Turned out that that guy's brother had been a steel guitar player in the band. The brother left, went in the Air Force, was killed in a car crash, and nobody, the family never saw him again. So I had the pictures. Oh, wow. I sent them to the guy. He said, yes, that's my brother. And then the last time I was up there, I, I got to do a, a theater show with probably the best stage band I've ever seen. I, I got to open for Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives. Played the song. Some guy comes up and my wife was in the lobby, said, here's the guy. You know, you got to. And it was a, just some local guy who had bought most of like the old Airstream trailer from the band and the old Cadillacs and whatever. Oh, wow whatever's left. So one simple song that I wrote based, it was going to be a magazine story as you know, has, has had some effect and 99.9% .9 of the planet has never even heard the song. Lifetime fading on the wall Like the opening of the co-op store Blue dot flashbulb caught it all On her good day she's got her memory Thirty or forty cats A closet full of dancing boots And sequin suits to match She's got Scotty's priceless old guitars They ain't heard a chord in years A con man tried to get him once She tossed him out right on his ear She talks of going back on the road Though her partner died long ago She still thinks of herself Maggie of the singing cowboy show and she'll tell anyone who listen boy they were something in their day the starlight ballroom off of highway 12 was 
was her favorite place to play She'd hit the stage and tip her hat With a big old howdy-do And mean it when she'd end each show with Happy trails to you The air streams in the backyard weeds upon blocks since Scotty died. The singing cowboys are all but gone as the paint peels from the side. But on that small town night, at the one stop light, Maggie'd honk and let them know. They'd follow that silver trailer. To the singing cowboy show And she'll tell anyone who listen, boy They were something in their day The Starlight Ballroom off Highway 12 Was her favorite place to play She'd hit the stage and tip her hat With a big old howdy-do She'll surprise infrequent visitors With a dance she used to do She raised her skirt and kicked one leg Knocked some knickknacks off the shelf Scared the hell out of the newspaper man And fell down laughing at herself Cat hair covered easy chair, a notepad on his knee. He's trying to make some editorial sense from her disjointed history. To balance the lonesome present with the smiles of long ago. So they'll always remember Maggie and the singing cowboy show And she'll tell anyone who listen, boy They were something in their day The Starlight Ballroom off Highway 12 Was her favorite place to play She'd hit the stage and tip her hat With a big old and howdy-do trails to you and mean it when she'd end each show with happy trails to you she's a solo act in a lonely room lifetime fading on the wall so i don't have a style i just write yeah
you know, some some of it's kind of a rock sound, some of it's ballads, some of it's beach music. Um, you know, I had one song ended up on an airline in-flight channel for six airlines, like their escape channel or whatever. You know, nobody gets rich, but it's kind of fun. You get small checks, and uh, but they're all over the place. There's no consistent style to the way I write. They're just songs to me. I mean, yeah, mostly stories. And sometimes when I play live, I always tell people, you know, they say, can you do four hours? I'm like, oh, yeah. Uh, I'll play six songs and tell a lot of stories. <laughs> and they say, you know, well, what, what about five hours? It's no problem. You still get six songs, but you just get longer <laughs> stories or more stuff, more BS in between, um, which is what I do. And it works for me. Yeah. I'm not going to sing The Lion Sleeps Tonight or cover songs that I can't do. Um, I, I, I do not feel the need to give an audience the all-time worst version of Brown Eyed Girl. Uh, it just makes no sense to me. It's not what I do. There are some cover cover people that are just fabulous. You wonder, they're, they're better than the original people. But that's not me. So I have a nice little niche. I tell my stories. I play my songs, make some records. And then, you know, you still appreciate it because when you get a chance to things, for whatever reason, spin around and you end up opening a theater show for Roger McGuinn from The Birds, part of you is just like you want to peek through the curtain and go, you know, ha! I got in for free, you know, <laughs> you're astonished. You kind of want to, the first thing you say, you know, to the audience is like, can you believe this? Um, so you don't take it for granted. You know, it's like you get a gig. It's like, this is, this is great. Thank you very much for letting me do this. Yeah. Same with the teaching. Thank you, Carroll University, for letting me teach. You know, you cover five Brewer games. This is great. Are you kidding me? I'm at the ballpark. You know, I can't hit either a curveball or a high note. And, you know, I've covered the playoffs and I've opened for Warren Zevon. Kind of like Ferris Bueller when he goes, ha, never had a lesson. <laughs> you know, but I like it. Yeah. It's been really good for me. Uh, I, I want to say good. It's, it's so enjoyable. And I, and I like music. I mean, I get enthused talking about it. I like to listen to it. Somebody sends me something. Hey, you want to hear my new song? I'm like, absolutely. Send it my way. You know, I, I just, it just, I was just the kid who read the uh, back of the record album. I read the liner notes. I read the back of the baseball cards. And with the ability you have, this is what I got out of it. Yeah. Well, Jim, I am so glad that you were on the podcast today. Your stories are very informative. They're very um, likable. You're a very likable person. And I think the listeners are going to enjoy listening to this podcast. Where can they find you? I have a website. It's jimhain.com. It's J-I-M-H-O-E-H-N.com. Facebook, same like anybody else. And, you know, my Facebook stuff is not, I'm just not the guy who said, oh, I, you know, I baked a cake tonight or I bought bananas at the grocery store. It's either music or journalism or sports because that's what I do. Song clips are on SoundCloud, but I think you can get them off my website. You know, even my website, the Milwaukee VA, which is a very historic property, has this great old theater from the 1880s. It's all run down. It's closed up. But there was a great photographer, um, Dion, Dion Yankee, who's from Milwaukee, lives in Nashville. She happened to be in town. The engineers let me in. And so the promo photos are taken in this theater that's got holes in the ceiling. It's got an old Wurlitzer piano with the keys curling up. And it just radiates history. And, and just, it was so cool. But again, nobody's nobody's going to put me on TV because I had this promo photo. It was more like just to experience that building and work with a photographer like that. You know, you do it once in your life. Right. And then you hope that, you know, geez, somebody sees that photo and says, oh, this theater is worth saving. And it leads to some miracle down the road because, you know, the Milwaukee VA right now has got that other old building, the big one that's visible to the skyline. That's being made 
and that's from the 1860s, I think. That is being made into housing for at-risk veterans and their families. This is a building that's 150 years old that is being restored to its original purpose. Wow. So those kind of historical things appeal to me greatly. Yeah. So, you know, basically, you just kind of like, I'm like anybody else. I have certain interests. And if you get a chance to incorporate those into your what you enjoy i mean that's that's great i mean I, you know i'm i suppose it's like somebody who's into cars and then somebody says hey you want to drive around in road america i'm sure they jump at the chance yeah you know somebody who golfs they say hey by the way i got a free round at augusta you want to go and and the guy's like i'm going to shoot 140 but i don't care i'm going to augusta so that's yeah. kind of what i feel like cool you know well it, it's it sounds like you're living your life to the fullest you can. You're not going to miss any opportunities that you come across as much as possible. Well, no, I mean, I, I reached out to you, didn't I? I mean, yeah. oh, this is great. Here's a, here's a music podcast. What I do listen to is all those young guys on some of these, like you, you listen to these documentaries. And if you think that these young hip hop artists do not know the history of Curtis Mayfield and Marvin Gaye and the Philadelphia stuff, you're crazy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. They are, you know, that's their craft. They have learned it. And so you appreciate for what they put into their art. You know, you just got to respect craftsmanship no matter what it is. But yeah, I'm pretty lucky. I get to do this, but then I have no other skills. You know, it's not like I'm going to be a plumber or fix your car. I can't do that. Uh, No, I have this, you know, but you're doing what you love. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, I've got a full-time job and I'm lucky that I like my jobs. I've always liked them because they've been an offshoot of what I do. It's kind of like what I do. I teach high school band, and I also ran my own recording studio. I do online mixing now. I do the podcast. Everything I do is revolves around music somehow. Right. And so if you like it, I mean, that in and of itself is kind of its own reward. And I'm sure it feels good to you when you hear from a former student who you've had an impact on. You might not even have known. Uh, that you had that influence and they say, oh, by the way, I'm doing this or or thank you so much for steering me in this direction or, you know, just you didn't do it with that in mind at the start. But when you right. get that kind of feedback, it kind of validates the effort you put into it, you know, justifies your existence, makes you feel good. Yeah. I mean, t- today when I was teaching, I teach a beginning guitar at my high school. And today I show them how to change strings on a car and actually had them change the strings on the guitar. And they were just, they were enthralled the whole time. They were like, oh, this is cool. Oh, this is how you do it. Oh, this is really awesome. Right. And it's such a basic taken for granted skill right. that a lot of people overlook that. And it's it's not intuitive. No. You know, I mean, there's nothing more nerve wracking than to have one guitar. You got a 30 minute opening slot and two songs in you break a string. You know, you got like 15 seconds to replace it and tune it and stumble through the rest of your, you know, by now you got 18 minutes left Mm -hmm. and you got a guy in the front row who's 12 beers into it screaming, you suck. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) if You're not a professional. Right. So, I mean, those kids, those students will remember this the rest of their life. Yep. You know, there are some of them who every time. They change their guitar strings. will think back to this first moment. And that's really all you can hope for. Yep, exactly. Well, Jim, I have to wrap this up. It was, like I said, it was a pleasure having you on here. I would like to actually have you back sometime in the future. It'd give us even more of the stories of everything that you have done in your life. This is really, really cool. 
Well, it's like I said, I'm very fortunate, blessed with a marvelous family that's been able to participate some and and uh, put up with my idiosyncrasies. I've met wonderful people. I get to talk to you tonight, which is out of the clear blue sky. It's like, you know, I like this stuff. Yeah. I don't take this opportunity for granted. You know, I mean, I get to hang out with John Seeger. I meet Paul Seabar's band, you know, just stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. you, you get you get to play at Shank Hall, which to me, if you just look around the walls at Shank Hall, the yeah. hundreds of photos of who's yes. played there, to me, that was as cool as... I got to do a couple nights at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. They all radiate their own history and their own culture and their yeah. own vibe. Uh, Cafe Carp in Fort Atkinson. Wisconsin is filled with these great little music venues, and they're worth sticking your head in. You know, you, hey, open mic night at Littemans. Might as well go in and see what's going on. Yep. So, yeah, that's good. It's really good. I just appreciate the fact that you let me talk. Well, I appreciate your time. Let me share the music that I know with you. That's great. Yeah. You know? And I wish you all the best. This is such a cool thing. I mean, oh, thank I know you. the effort that goes into it and the time and you could be doing anything else on the planet, but you let guys like me talk and you're building an audience and it's kind of like a venue. Uh, yep. Share this as much as I can. Thank My you. My job is to bring people to your podcast, not awesome. your podcast to bring people to me. Well, I appreciate it. I really, really do. Have a great night and you too. we will meet again. Uh, yes. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jim Hain. Lots of great um, information there. I would like to thank Nate Wyckoff of Frequency Farm Recording in Wisconsin. Dean Bundy, our voiceover talent. CWHipHop.com for syndicating our podcast on Mondays at 4 p.m. And to ZTF Studio. ZTF Studio is an online mixing and recording studio doing professional mixing and recording for the last 18 years. If anyone out there is at the point of getting their songs mixed and or recorded, contact Zach at ztfstudio.com for any of your professional needs. We're going to let Jim play this out with his song, Calling It Gone. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye. In traffic, you know I'm headed for a job I hate. Ain't nothing moving but the hands on my watch. Full throttle, hurry up and wait. I'm sick of the rat race. Can't take one more day. My life is too short to live it this way. I'm dialing the office. Put the boss man on. I'm not calling in sick I'm calling in gone I'm calling in gone For flesh adios I'm trading this cubicle For a spot on the coast I'm gonna find me a beach Oh, that's where I belong I'm not calling in sick I'm calling it gone What the hell are you doing? I keep asking myself Only I know the answers Nobody else Like a rat on the wheel That's how I compare I'm running all day
But I'm getting nowhere, so enough is enough Man, I'm staying so long I'm not calling in sick I'm calling in gone I'm calling in gone Full-fledged adios I'm trading this cubic For a spot on the coast I'm gonna find me a beach Oh, that's where I belong I'm not calling in sick I'm calling in gone No jacket and tie No morning commute I'm waving goodbye One finger salute Going down to the ocean Gonna lay in the sun the only boss I'll hear is singing Born to Run. Now I got plenty of room. Why don't you come along? We won't be calling in sick. We'll be calling in gone. Calling in gone. For flesh out of yours. I'm trading this cubicle for a spot on the coast. I think maybe we should go see some of it.